The basis for our sermon today comes from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. The gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. It was tough waking up this past Tuesday morning and reading the news. Tornadoes in and around Nashville had caused some massive devastation. I mean, buildings leveled, people still sleeping in their beds when their their homes came crashing down on top of them, and so many people were missing. That news kind of put a gloom over this week for most of us, I think. And yet, in the days that have gone by since those tornadoes ripped through Middle Tennessee, 
There's been some good news. There's been some hope. There's been some amazing stories of of people coming together and and helping each other. Uh, Maybe the best piece of news that I've read so far uh, was already by, by the end of Thursday morning this week, the list of missing people had gone from 77 to zero. All of them accounted for. And, and you better believe that probably took a lot of hard work, a lot of effort to track all 77 of those missing people down. The, the searchers, when you read about it, they had to walk through these destroyed neighborhoods really quietly, listening for any signs of life, hearing cries for help from out of the rubble. And it took countless people, hundreds of hours to do these searches. And maybe you even saw some pictures out there of, of people being unburied from their homes and, and pulled out of the rubble. It took a lot of effort, a lot of work to find those missing 77. But no one was saying, ah, this isn't worth it. We'll never find them all. There's too much rubble on top of that person. Let's just give up. No. They kept going. They kept searching until every last person was accounted for. Those, those search and rescue missions, they're always worth the time and the effort. They mean so much to that person who is lost or trapped. And maybe these amazing search and rescue efforts happening in Nashville can kind of help us understand the amazing search and rescue Jesus launched for you and for me. Because humanity, it it was and, and really still is, should be lost beyond recovery. I mean, God should have given up on us long ago. He, he should not have considered us worth the effort. And yet, he sends us someone to seek us when we're lost, to seek us who used to be lost. And, and Jesus he doesn't let anything stand in his way. Not the massive pile of sin's rubble we're buried under. Not even gruesome death on a cross. And when you read gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you, you get to see how personal Jesus is when he takes on these search and rescue missions for lost people. I think we got one of the best search and rescues today in in John chapter 4. And it all starts with one short little verse that says so much. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to. But here's the thing. He didn't have to. Jesus was was going from Jerusalem up to Galilee in the north. And right in between those two places was the land of Samaria. So, yeah, the quickest way from Jerusalem to Galilee, you would go through Samaria. But most Jews, they wouldn't take that road. They would take a longer road that would skirt around Samaria. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. They, they kind of considered the Samaritans like corrupt half-breeds. The, the Samaritans, they, had, they were descendants of Jews. But years and years before, 
when the Assyrian Empire came in, they took a bunch of the people of Israel captive. They, they would do this thing in order to subjugate the people they conquered. They would mix them together with other nations and disperse them all over the place so they wouldn't have any sense of nationalism or an urge to rebel. It worked. But now you have these Samaritans. They're, they're here in Samaria, and they've kind of lost touch with their Israelite ancestry They've gotten mixed up ideas about God because they've had these other influences of idolatry and from other nations. And yet they still kind of want to claim a part in the nation of Israel. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans, considered them unclean, unworthy to associate with. A good Jew would not have gone through Samaria. But Jesus did. He had to. Because there was, there was a certain lost woman there he just had to meet. This necessity of love drove him to a well in a town called Sychar. And it was hot, it was almost noon, and he was tired and thirsty, so he sat down at a well. He had to. Because someone else was about to show up. And this, this Samaritan woman, she also had to be there at that well in the heat of the day about noon. But she was driven there out of a necessity of shame. She didn't go in the cool hours in the morning or later in the evening with all the other women. She went to the well at a time when no one else would be there, in the heat of the day, when no one else who knew about her shameful life could be there to ridicule or harass her. She had to go at that time. And of course today, though, there's someone else there, a stranger, and he wants to talk. He had to. And with one out-of-place question, Jesus starts a conversation that changes this woman's life. He asks, will you give me a drink? And this question was so out-of-place because this woman, she knew You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? No self-respecting Jew would eat or drink from something that belonged to a Samaritan. That That would make them unclean. And so with Jesus giving this simple question, will you give me a drink? And he was busting down cultural, racial, social barriers. He had to, for this woman's sake. Because now he could, he could focus her on how thirsty she was and the water he could give her that she really needed. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Kind of a strange answer. Definitely not what the woman was expecting. And so she kind of points out the obvious Hold on, you you just asked me for a drink. And now how are you going to give me water when you don't even have anything to draw water with? And uh, are you trying to tell me that you have a better water source than this historic well given to us by Jacob, the, the grandson of Abraham? Her respect for the past was preventing her from seeing the great opportunity sitting right there in her present. And she was also still thinking of just normal water. And so Jesus, he says, 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And now he had the woman's attention. Now he struck a chord. The woman's thinking, ooh, he can give me a water source so that I don't have to keep trekking down to this well in the heat of the day all alone in shame. Yeah, I'll take that water. Where is it? <laughs> Again, she was thinking too small. And so to get his point home, Jesus, he got personal. He had to. He had to, to show this woman how lost and thirsty she really was. He had to show her that she was drawing from the wrong wells for satisfaction. He had to let her know that he could give her the living water she needed. And so he says, go, call your husband and come back. And now the whole reason she came to the well alone in the heat of the day, that stood in danger of being exposed. And she could have lied. Or, or she could have said, ah, my personal life is none of your business. Instead, she tells the truth. I, I have no husband. Maybe it was this barrier-shattering conversation she's having with this strange Jew. It causes her to kind of admit something she maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Either way, Jesus, he commends her for telling the truth. And then he reveals that he knows a whole lot more about her than she thought he did. <laughs> Says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And without saying it in so many words, the, the context of this whole account kind of makes it pretty clear that this woman seemed to have been struggling with Habitual adultery, never finding satisfaction in her relationships, always looking for something better every chance she had, drawing from whatever well suited her at the time. And this was the reason why the whole town avoided her. They knew what she was up to. The reason that she had to go to that well in the, in the heat of the day alone and it was also the reason Jesus had to have this conversation with her. For so long, this woman had been digging deeper and deeper into a well of her own making, but that well had no water. It was a dry cistern with no living water to be found there. And this woman, she's running away from God and His will, and his word. And yet, her Savior is there, running after her. And he finds her, and he rescues her. And the, the things that Jesus says next, they're not words of harsh condemnation. They're words to give her the healing, living water she needs. He starts by telling her about true worship of God. No longer does she have to feel cut off from God because she's a Samaritan, not a Jew. True worship no longer is going to be at a temple in Jerusalem or any other specific location. True worship 
will be in the spirit and by faith in truth. And he invites her to be a part of this. And the woman with yearning in her heart, she, she can scarcely believe what this, this kind prophet is telling her and she, she speaks out her deepest desire. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said what he had to tell her. I, the one speaking to you, am he. And all of a sudden, this woman realized that living water and eternal life could be hers after all. Her sins that drove everyone else away from her, they didn't drive her Savior away. In fact, her sins was the reason he came. Even though he knew her record and all the breaking of God's law that stood against her, he didn't treat her like everyone else treated her. He wanted to be there at that well with her when no one else would. And kind of talked about it in the children's devotion, but the, the sequel, the end of this account is so good too. Right? The woman, she just leaves her water jar there. She runs back to town and tells everyone, you have to meet this man. Could he be the Messiah right here in our town? The whole town comes down to meet Jesus with her and they listen. And they, they urge Jesus to stay with them. And he, he stays two days. And once those two days are over, the people of the town, they say to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and know that this man really is the savior of the world. All because Jesus had to sit down at a well in Samaria, a place that he shouldn't have gone, talking to a woman he shouldn't have talked to, Maybe it's, it's hard for us to totally see what similarities we have with this Samaritan woman at the well. But we've experienced God's barrier-shattering, lost-seeking love, just like she did. Just like her. We've had him give us living water. Just like her. We've experienced God looking at us not as just another sinner, someone not worth his time. When we go running away from God, he comes running after us. But of course, he shouldn't. We, we shouldn't be worth God's time. Because unlike tornado victims trapped under rubble, we weren't even crying out, trying to, trying to be found. Before coming to faith, before being pulled out of the darkness, we actually wanted to be buried under the rubble of our sins. We had no desire to be found by God. Didn't even realize we were lost or trapped. And of course, even once he has pulled us to faith, even as Christians now, well, we still look to our, our own shallow, parched wells instead of drawing from the, the well of God's living water in the gospel. We look to our, our broken cisterns way too often, again and again. We kind of fit right in with the Israelites whom God is addressing in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. 
They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We're not so different from the Samaritan woman after all. But just like her, Jesus had to come seek us when we were lost. Jesus, just, just like her, he thought you were worth launching a search and rescue mission for. He, he had to have this conversation and meet this Samaritan woman, just like he had to be crucified, dead, buried, and raised for her and for you. This, this good news of Christ, it, it, it breaks and bursts down every cultural, social, spiritual barrier there is. It did for this Samaritan woman. It does for all people, no matter who they are. And we know he's, he's going to give us this living water that can well up to eternal life. In order to do that, he's, he's even willing to use his soul-piercing, harsh-sounding law in his word. He, he loves us enough to get personal, to show us our broken cisterns, to show us the rubble we're under, so he can point us to how much we need him. And then you find that Jesus, he's already right there. With his hand outstretched, already pulling you from the rubble. The gift of God has already been given. In case you missed it in all this, Jesus himself is the living water. He is the one who works in us to become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. No more digging out of dry cisterns. No more trying to hold water in jars that are broken. Jesus lets you drink directly from the well of God's grace. It's a bottomless well. And it's even a well that, that springs up in you like a geyser welling up to eternal life. It's the water we need because it's the water that brings us our, it slakes our thirst for God through Jesus. And did you notice in all this, Jesus never got his drink of water. He has a habit of doing that. Jesus has a habit of filling you up instead. The living water came to pour himself out for people who forsake him or dig their own cisterns and wells. And yet he still has life-changing conversations with sinners at the well, at the well of his word. Still, he pours out water for rebirth and cleansing in baptism. Still, at the Lord's Supper, he says, take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the same Jesus who said on the cross, I am thirsty. As he drank dry all the world's sin and guilt, Jesus empties himself to fill you with living water. He seeks you when you're lost. He's there to pull you out of the rubble. He had to. Because he loves you. Amen.